this week, what we're going to do, um, a little bit of background and, and reasoning behind what we're going to do this morning. This year, uh, 2018, marks the 100th year that the Southern Baptist Convention has officially recognized the annual Christmas offering as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. When it started, it wasn't called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It was just called the annual Christmas offering. But in 1918, the Women's Missionary Union suggested that the, the offering be named the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They wanted to name the offering after the woman who had urged them to start the offering. And so, ironically, it was the retired first executive secretary of the WMU, whose name was Annie Armstrong, who actually recommended that Lottie Moon be the namesake of the Christmas offering. Some of you, that means nothing, but some of you are thinking, wow, that's, that's interesting. Okay, so, so that's 1918 was when it was officially known as the Annie Armstrong Christmas offering. So we as a church, if you're a visitor, if maybe you're a member, you just don't know, we are a church that's part of a denomination called the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we as a church are in cooperation with thousands of other local churches, some smaller, some bigger than us. We're, we're all a cooperative um, denomination or group. And we, every year for, for the, the Christmas offering, the Lighting Moon Christmas offering, we all, we all put money together um, for this offering. And so that's where you, you'll see the insert in your bulletin that, that is letting you know this is the week of prayer for international missions because this, this offering, 100% of this offering goes towards our international missionaries that, that have been sent out by our denomination. And so last year, this offering totaled nearly $159 million. Okay, it was the second highest. And so they're expecting this year to be higher, but... So that means $159 million. It was just under, I think it was 158.9, so I rounded up. Um, but, but all of that money was sent directly to international missionaries all over the world. And so since this started in 1888, we as a denomination have given over $4.5 billion to international missions. And so 100% of that money goes directly to missionaries who have been sent out by the International Mission Board. Maybe if you're not with that term, it's, it was formerly the Foreign Mission Board. So, so it was the Foreign Mission Board, now it's called the International Mission Board. But as a dom- denomination, we support, at last count, was 3,667 field personnel. It's almost 4,000 missionaries who we support who don't have to fundraise. So that's a huge blessing. A lot of friends of mine ha- that have gone out with other organizations, whenever they come home, they have to fundraise. They have to, they have to go visit churches and say, hey, we need you to support us. Um, but, but Southern Baptist missionaries are supported by the cooperative program, by this offering. And so it's an incredible number that, that we as a denomination can have almost 4,000 workers full-time serving all over the world. It is one of the, the reasons that I'm so thankful to be part of this um, cooperative group of churches. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the lady. So you see her picture. It's hard to find a, a picture of her smiling. Uh, I, I don't think that's her. I think it's just the time that she lived in. Um, but, but we're going to learn about her, so, so it's going to be a more bi- biographical message about Lottie Moon. Um, Lottie Moon is an important figure. If you haven't grown up Southern Baptist, you may have never heard her name. Um, but if you did have grown up in the Southern Baptist Convention, you've heard the name, well, I want to tell you a little bit about her. She's important in, in our denomination, but, but I'd say more than that, she's an important figure in the life of the church. And so my hope this morning is, as we get to know her and her story, that we would be encouraged so I think it's good for us at this time of the year as, as Christmas and, and decorations and lights, it's good for us to evaluate our perspective. I think it's good for us to, to have our eyes lifted above the here and now and be reminded of the world around us. And so this week, this message, 
I want us to, to be reminded of the fact that there are men and women, our brothers and sisters, who's give, who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, who, who aren't going to be traveling home for Christmas. They're going to be serving all over the world in, in various contexts, in East Asia, in, in other places. And, and so we just need to be reminded that, that the, the gospel mission is being carried on. It doesn't take a break for Christmas. Missionaries don't, don't take a break for Christmas always. And so, so I just want us to, to be reminded of, of the cost, but also just be encouraged. Because Lottie Moon, in her day, she was gripped by the reality that, that people were dying apart from knowledge, apart from faith in Christ. And so as she's being sent out by this, by this mission board, she, she can't understand how this large denomination, it was even big at that time, but how it could be falling behind in sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. She believed that every person, regardless of gender, regardless of size of church, every person had a part to play in reaching every nation with the gospel of Christ. That was her conviction. That's what drove her life. And she not only talked the talk, she walked the walk. She had a genuine desire and gave 40 years of her life to see the gospel reach people in North China. And she was convinced that if Southern Baptists could organize and unite around this cause of foreign missions, that the impact would be gigantic. So here's what she wrote in a letter in 1973. She said, The needs of these people press upon my soul, and I cannot be silent. It is grievous to think of these human souls going down to death without even one opportunity of hearing the name of Jesus. Why are the laborers so few? Where we have four, we should have not less than a hundred. Are these, wor- are these wild words? They would not seem so were the church of God awake to her high privilege and her weighty responsibilities. And so she challenged the church, and so that's, I want her to challenge us this morning. She gave her life to foreign missions work in China, but she also gave her voice to the cause of missions. Well, let's get to know her a little bit better. I, I, the outline, that's the last time you'll see her picture, um, but, but let's, let's, the next slide we'll see the outline of, of how we're going to kind of walk through her life. And so we're going to look at her early life, we're going to look at her conversion and call to China, we're going to look at her life in China, and then we'll close with, with some lessons that we can learn um, from her life. Let, let me pray for our time, and then, then we'll look at, at her early life. Now, Father, we commit this time to you, and we ask that, that the life of your servant, your faithful servant, Charlotte Diggs Moon, that, that her life would encourage us, that, that as she lines the hall of faith, that, that we get to walk through with the many other saints who've gone before us, would we be encouraged by her faith, and, and would we be encouraged to press on and persevere and give our lives um, for the same gospel cause. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to go fast, so my, my notes are long, and we have a lot to do, okay? So, so I'm going to go fast. If you, need, if you need notes, if you have questions, write them down. I'd be happy to, to answer you um, this week if you have any questions, but, but let's, let's begin her early life. So Charlotte Diggs Moon was born December 12, 1840 in Albemarle County, Virginia. So that, she's a Virginia-born person. So she, Albemarle County is between Scottsville and Charlottesville. She would grow up. And, and that word may not be the best word. She would grow to be only four foot three inches tall. So she was a miniature woman. In fact, at the time of her death in 1912, when she was 72, she only weighed 50 pounds. Okay, so she, as we'll see, she had, she'd been going through some, some health issues. So part of that was contributed to it. But she was still a, a tiny woman. But as one biographer noted, that tiny body contained a powerful personality which overcame any physical liability. So she was a tiny woman, but she packed a punch. So her father, her father's name was Edward Harris Moon, and her mother was Oriana Maria Barkley Moon. 
She had 10 other siblings in her family. Only six of them survived into adulthood. So they lived in a time where, where infant mortality rate was high. So, so several of her siblings died in infancy or at very young ages. But she grew up with, with six brothers and sisters. And, and the Moon family was a typical wealthy family in the Old South. So she's in Charlottesville. She grew up on, on a, a, an estate called, called Mountain View. Um, and, and so she, she grew up with, with a traditional wealthy southern home. She was quickly known as Lottie. That became her nickname. That's what we know her as. Um, she was well-educated, and she had many opportunities that other girls her age wouldn't have had. She was, she was a wealthy family, so she had schooling, and she had opportunities that others wouldn't have had. Her father was a Presbyterian who became a Baptist and became an influential founder member of a, of a Baptist church right there in Scottsville called Scottsville Baptist Church. So he was a, a deacon, and he was one of the, the founding members, very influential. And Lottie would grow up going to Scottsville Baptist Church. She'd go with her mom. Her mom, there's, there's stories of, of the whole family just sitting in one pew, all the kids and her mom and the dad just sitting in the pew together. Lottie's mom would have her children in church every Sunday. She, at home, she would read them religious books and, and try and educate them in the religion that they, had, that they had grasped. Yet, despite this, Lottie never had much interest in the religion of her parents. She despised going to church. There's, there's one time she snuck out of church to go make food for herself. And she, her mom, because she was a Sabbatarian, she said, we can't cook on Sunday. We're going to make all our food on Saturday. Well, Lottie said, forget that. I'm, I don't want to sit here in church. She went home and her mom, when, they, when the family went home from church, they saw smoke rising. They saw Lottie sitting there eating her own meal for lunch. She despised going to church. Well, her dad, her father died uh, when she was 13 years old. He was on a business trip on a steamboat going between on Memphis and New Orleans, a trip that he took regularly. The, the steamboat he was on caught fire and everyone had to abandon ship. Well, her dad decided that the trunk that was holding all of his possessions and money was not worth letting go. And so he hoisted it above his head and he, he made his way to safety. But as soon as he got upon shore, it was either a heart attack or a stroke from, they say, probably from carrying that. And he died right there when Lottie was 13 years old. So she grew up in, in her teenage years without a father. At the age of 14, she attended Virginia Female Seminary which was out near Roanoke, uh, and then she attended the Albemarle Female Institute at age 17. And so she, in her schooling, through her schooling, she became proficient in Greek, in Latin, in Italian, in French, in Spanish, and even took up Hebrew. And so, so at, at the end of her education, not long after 17, that's, that's what she's fluent in. Those are the languages. By the time she finished her school, one professor called her, quote, the most educated woman in the South. A classmate of her wrote of Lottie, she has a mind and a wealth of knowledge that is the fortune of few women to possess. So it was clear from a young age, she was a uniquely gifted young lady. However, all this education, all this knowledge, all this gifting was void of Christ. As smart and as, as educated as she was, she refused to embrace her family's religion. She was a skeptic. She refused to trust in Christ. She was impressed with worldly wisdom. So all the philosophers and, and the classical literature, she was, she was infatuated with that. She had many Christian friends who prayed for her and witnessed to her, but, but they were hard-pressed to see any hope for young Lottie. They knew that, that unless God himself miraculous, in, miraculously intervened, that nothing would change. Well, that leads us to our second point, the conversion and call to China. Obviously, the prayers of Lottie's friends were answered. So in December of 1858... A, a man named John Broadus, who was a professor at the Albemarle Female Institute. He was also a, a pastor of Charlottesville Baptist Church. He was holding a series of evangelistic meetings 
So all the, all the students, all the college students in the Charlottesville area, he was having these meetings for them to come. And part of the, the pre-planning for that meeting, a lot of the, the Christian students gathered for praying for their friends and family for these upcoming meetings. A lot of the students were praying specifically for Lottie by name. And to their surprise, Lottie showed up at that prayer meeting. And so at that meeting, she showed up. She, she met with uh, Dr. Broadus, had earnest private conversations, and then the day after made a public profession of faith. And so that was December 21st of 1858, and she was baptized the next day at that Charlottesville church. And it was, it, it was interesting, women couldn't speak in church other than to give testimonies. And so on that day after she professed her faith, she gives her testimony, and it's in the telling of her testimony. She says, it was one night, I couldn't go to sleep. There's this dog barking, and I couldn't sleep. And so laying awake, she, she could not stop thinking about eternity, about all the things that she'd heard growing up, about, her, about eternity, about the state of her soul before God. She, she couldn't sleep. And so then that's, that's that night, she decides, I'm going to that meeting tomorrow. She says initially she was going to go to the meeting to scoff, but she goes to the meeting, she comes home, and all she can do the rest of the day into the night is pray. And so God intervened in the life of Lottie Moon through the prayers of faithful friends and the faithful ministry of a, of a, of a local church. And so, so God saved Lottie Moon miraculously through really ordinary ways. And as is the case, when someone's truly converted, immediately Lottie's life and character were transformed. She was different. It was a, it was a, a drastic change, and everyone knew it. One friend wrote, she had always wielded an influence because of her intellectual power. Now her great talent was directed into another channel. She immediately took a stand as a Christian. She was, she was changed, and her life took on a new purpose. Very formative for her in these years was the man John Broadus. On a side note, he became one of the four founders of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which has connections to our church. So John Broadus, who, who was influential in converting, leading uh, Lottie Moon to Christ, also founded the seminary that has trained many, many, many pastors um, in, in our denomination. But one of the things that Broadus would regularly do is to keep before the students of Charlottesville that, that were part of his church and in the area, he would always be appealing for a life commitment to religious work. So the call to ministry, he would always be talking about that in sermons and in conversations. He would often point out, and he would make three points. He'd say, the world needs the gospel. You can meet that need. There's no reason you shouldn't. That's why the same, same sermon, rent, wash, rinse, repeat over and over. And so as you're saying, there's a need, and you can meet that need. So he'd always be pressing that into the, his listeners. And though, as he's issuing this call, it's, it's, it's often only meant for young men. He wouldn't think of, of calling women to life of full-time ministry at that point in, in those ways. Though it wasn't ever meant for a woman, God intended it for a woman named Lottie Moon. Because in these years, she heard that, and she felt that call. And in fact, she wrote she, she was possibly feeling led towards Japan as her mission field. So that, that's where the, these yearnings start growing for Lottie. Well, she finished her education in 1861, and about that time, if you're familiar with, with U.S. history, about that time, the Civil War erupts. So she's finished school. She has to go home to Viewmont, which, where she grew up, to, 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 to help out at home. So during this time, she, she's active in a local Baptist church. Another church has been built um, closer to her house. So she's a Sunday school teacher and active in the church there close to her home. Now, one thing to, to say about Lottie, she was a product of her time. So she, was, she aligned herself with the causes of the South. And she wrote to a friend... She hoped that the southern cause would prevail because it would, quote, be better to perish than to bow the neck to the tyrant's yoke. And so referring, I mean, so, so I'm, I'm reading through a book on the Civil War now, and so all this language, it, that, this is what they're talking about, the tyrant. This is President Lincoln. This is the federal government. That's the tyrant's yoke, and we don't want to be subject to that. 
And so, so, so Lottie Moon has her faults. We can't ignore these things. She had blind spots like many Christians in the South. As you read them, you think, how could they miss it? How could they be so wrong? Well, they were. They were on the wrong side of issue when it came to slavery. And in Lottie's case, this racial prejudice was, was even seen at the outset of her time in China. It's fascinating. As she gets there, she, she understands herself as a superior race to the Chinese. And she, she talks about them, not, not, not intentionally demeaning, but, but just that's who she is. She's like, oh, yeah, this, this inferior race. But at the end of her time in China, as it's coming to an end, there's no hint of that. She, she's been changed. She's recognized, no, 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 there, there's no distinction. And so it's fascinating to see God at work through her, but, but as she was growing up, she was, she was a product of her time. Well, during the war and afterwards, Lottie began pursuing a career in teaching and tutoring. This is what a lot of the ladies after the war did. And so she, she moved to Georgia to, to be a tutor, a private tutor for a family there. She went in 1866 to Danville, Kentucky to teach at a female academy that was operated from the First Baptist Church of Danville there. So she was a teacher there. After Kentucky, the, probably the most significant teaching career that she had, she and a lifelong friend named Anna Safford, or A.C. Safford, they were hired to start a school together in Cartersville, Georgia. So these two young ladies who have been well-educated, and they're, they're hired, they're, they're recruited to start this school for the, the community there in Cartersville. And this, this school had a, a bunch of potential for success. A lot of people interested, a lot of need for this. And so the, they have their first session, and things are going well. Um, but, but after the first session, Lottie is called back home because her mother is sick. So, so she takes a break there. She comes back home to Virginia. Her mom dies in 1870. And so while Lottie's back tending to her mother, she's having lots of conversations with her, her sister named Edmonia, who was nicknamed Eddie. Okay, so, so Eddie and Lottie are home, and they're having lots of conversations. And, and in light of their mom's death, they're asking, how are we going to use our lives? What are we going to do to make an impact? We've just seen our mom die. We're going to come to that day. What, what can we do? So these sisters are having these discussions. How can we use our lives for the, the sake of the Lord? In fact, at that time, both sisters came together, and they supported missionaries together. So, so there's a, a missionary couple in China that they gave financially to, and they actually helped um, support a church plant in Rome, Italy. So even, even then, in 1870, she, Lottie, and her sister are, are pulling together money and sending out to the foreign mission board. But most importantly during this visit, Eddie, her sister, told her that she dreamed of being a missionary to China. Though Lottie had felt similar desires, she, she had a lot going on in her life, and she wasn't at a point to consider going to China, but her sister became the first female commissioned by the Foreign Mission Board in over 24 years. So it was another moon who was the first to go to China. Not Lottie, it was Eddie, her sister. So she was sent with, with another couple to Tingchow, China, under the support of the Missionary Society of the First Baptist Church of Richmond. And so that, that church, the Women's Missionary Society, sent Eddie over to China. Lottie goes back to Cartersville. She can't get China out of her mind. At that time, her sister's gone. And she's seriously wrestling with, how can I best use my life? So she th- I, I can stay here. There's, there's need here. A lot of people would tell her, staying home is the best thing for you to do. Stay here, start the school. You can be really useful. In fact, most people would tell her it would be a shame to waste your life on a foreign mission field. So she's wrestling, should I stay or should I go? Well, her sister at that time is in China, and she's writing her sister. She's very persistent. You can read some of her letters. At one point, her sister writes, I cannot convince myself that it is the will of God that you shall not come. In other words, I believe it's God's will for you to come here with me. And here's what she writes. These are powerful words. She says, true, the work at home is noble, but others could fill your place. Far dimmer the prospects of finding one for the place offered you in China. 
Anyone can be a teacher, Lottie. Who else is going to be qualified and desire to come to China? Right? This is where you need to be. Ed, Eddie, persistent, finally convinces her sister. It's not only for my sake I want you to come, Lottie. I want you to come for the sake of the Chinese. We need you here. There's opportunity here. And so in February of 1873, Lottie hears a sermon providentially placed in her life. Her, her local church pastor is pleading for laborers to go. He's saying, we, we need workers. And Lottie, that, that afternoon, she goes home, she prays, and she later says, that day is the day that through God's word, given from her pastor, cemented her determination to go to China. And so 1873 is when she decides to go. Ironically, Anna Safford, the other lady who's teaching with her, has the same call. And so she's going to go to China also. She's going to be sent by the Southern Presbyterians. Uh, Lottie's going to be sent by the Southern Baptists. But they, both these young ladies go back to Cartersville, Georgia, and say, sorry, people, we're, we're, not gonna, we, we're gonna leave the school. We're both going to China. They were not received well, um, but, but that's what they do. Both of them, and they'll be lifelong friends, and they'll be in contact as they're over in China. But, but Lottie was sent, she set sail on September 1st, 1873, as a missionary of the foreign mission board. She arrives in Tingchow, China, and that's where she would live for the next 40 years, which leads us to our, our last point, life in China. So her first several years in China, from 1873 to 1875, her work consisted of being a school teacher. So she'd get there and she, she would help put, put, put together these schools for Chinese girls. During this time, she, she also gave herself fully to learning Chinese. So she didn't know Chinese. She had to learn that, add that to her, her language list. And, and as she studied, she gained excellent command. So, so everyone sees this, this young lady who, who's picking up Chinese that they've been spending years to learn, and they're envious of her. How can she do that? That's just who she was. So she, she immerses herself in the Chinese language, but she also develops almost an obsession for honoring Chinese customs. So she begins immediately adopting customs of the Chinese to, to become part of them. Things like clothing and, and customs and the ways that she, she wears her hair and goes out in public. During these early years, she also learned how to survive physically and emotionally while living in primitive circumstances with lower-class Chinese people. She's among the poorest of the poor there in China. And it was different than anything she'd ever experienced. And so you can imagine you have these American missionaries coming over into China, and they're the subject of curiosity. People are saying, well, look, look, at, look, at, the foreign, look at the foreigners. Sometimes they were even the object of animosity, so, so it wasn't uncommon for early on, as they're going to, to set up teaching or set up schools, Lottie and, and the other women would be referred to as, as the devil women or the foreign devils that have come to teach us. And so, so this is happening over and over, and then she has these encounters with some soldiers where she's, she's learning to, to be courageous in the face of, of threat, sometimes on her life. But she, she keeps her poise in these confrontations, and so she learns how to survive. And she, she quickly realizes that, that, that missionary life was a real drudgery. She realizes it's not for the faint of heart. And so this isn't this is even considering the, the spiritual darkness. This is a land full of idol worship. So everywhere she goes, there's yards and homes full of idols. And so it's a dark place. And so these are some of the challenges that faced Lottie early on. In fact, in one of the, the last letters she wrote, I think it was in, in 1913, it was published. She wrote, and, and thinking back on her time, early time in Tingchao, she says, quote, Missionary work in Tingchao was like knocking your head against a stone wall. The wall was not affected in the slightest degree, but woe to your head. Right? So that's, that's, what she's, that's what she's going through in these early days. This is a, a difficult context for her to, to be a missionary. 
Any romantic ideas that she had about life in missionary, as a missionary in China were quickly displaced. And so along with, with teaching, that teaching and learning, that was what the focus of her attention was. But she also joined two other female missionaries, Miss Crawford and Miss Holmes, who they'd come with their husbands, right? A woman could be sent as a missionary with her husband, right? So, so they were there. They'd been doing work with, with women among the Chinese, but, but they, would, they would all travel out, and so Lottie would get to join them. They'd go out to other small villages around the region. And these trips, these efforts at personal evangelism, is, is what Lottie loved to do. This was her greatest joy. She loved going with them and seeing the people come and being able to talk to them and teach them about Jesus. That, that's, that she, she saw there's a great need and there's a great opportunity. First of all, there's stories of an early trip she took where people just come because they see these white ladies. They say, what are they here for? So they come and they say, hey, let's tell them about Jesus. Right? So, so that wore off, that kind of the intrigue wore off. But, but she loved going out and, and taking part in this personal evangelism. And so Lottie began falling more and more in love with the place and the people she knew in China. She longed to spend her days just traveling from village to village. Well, she spent her time doing this from 1873 to, to the winter of 1876, so these first three and a half years. And in 1876, her sister, Eddie, was declared incapable of continuing the missionary work in China. So Eddie's health and her attitude had deteriorated as, as they had been doing, some would say, since she first stepped foot in China. So it's interesting if you read some of the correspondences between those other missionaries in China, they're all saying, yeah, this, this Eddie Moon, she's not cut out for life in China. She's not cut out for missionary. And so, and so she, she's deemed unfit. She, she's sent home. Lottie's doing all she can to keep her sister with her. But once it's, it's, de- once it's declared she has to go home, uh, Lottie feels it's her God-given duty to, to go with her sister home, escort her home, and then return. She received a lot of slack for leaving the field, but she felt as her sister she had to do that. And so she takes Edmonia home. Edmonia's missionary days are over. And so she goes home, and I think she teaches, and, and she lives her life out in the States. Um, but, but even for Lottie, this is interesting. Even though she's back in the States, and it's only for a short time, she's restless to get back to China because she's feeling in her heart the States aren't home. China is home. So she's eager to go back. And it's just th- this transformation that's happening. So she does go back, and when she goes back, she's eager to go to work. She, on her return, she writes, I do so love the East and the Eastern life. Japan fascinated my heart and fancy four years ago, but now I honestly believe I love China the best. And actually, which is stranger still, love the Chinese best. And so there's this love for China and its people. So she goes to work back there in China, setting up schools, teaching women and girls in the church, traveling into villages for evangelism. But he, even as she goes back, the circumstances haven't changed. The, the life of a missionary was not for the faint of heart. Without a clear calling on one's life, one simply wouldn't last. In fact, by 1877, the eight new missionaries that had come after Lottie, so she had gone in, 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 by 1877, eight more had come. Three had died. Three had gone home because of mental or, or emotional breakdowns. And one had resigned over a doctrinal issue. Right? So, so that's one left. So, so Lottie is still there. Seven of the other eight that have come are gone. Being a missionary in China was not easy. In fact, Lottie wrote back to H.A. Tupper, who who he's the the secretary, the leader of the Foreign Mission Board, about the misconception that the days of missionary hardships were over. So apparently in the States, people say, oh yeah, it used to be hard to be a missionary, but not anymore. And she gets wind of that, and here's what she writes back. I mean, I think her personality comes out, so I'm going to quote her in length here. She says, I'm always ashamed to dwell on physical hardships, but this time I've departed from my usual reticence because I know that there are some who in their pleasant homes in America, without any real knowledge of the facts, declare that the days of missionary hardships are over. 
to speak in the open air in a foreign tongue from six to 11 times a day is no trifle. The fatigue of travel is something. The ends are simply the acme of discomfort. If anyone fancies sleeping on brick beds in rooms with dirt floors and walls blackened by the smoke of many generations, the yard also being the stable yard and the stable itself being within three feet of your door, I wish to declare most emphatically that as a matter of taste, I differ. If anyone thinks he would like the constant contact with the great unwashed, quote, unquote, I must still say from experience, I find it unpleasant. If anyone thinks that the constant risk of exposure to smallpox and other contagious disease against which the Chinese take no precaution whatsoever, it's just the most charming thing in life, I shall continue to differ. In a word, let him try it. A few days of roughing it, as we ladies do habitually, will convince the most skeptical. And so she, she wants to send it clear. If you want to come to China, don't expect easy living. In fact, when, when they do eventually send three missionaries to help her, she, she prepares them. Don't, don't have romantic ideas. Take off your rose-colored glass, glasses. Life was not easy for Lottie and other missionaries. But, but Lottie would not want to be anywhere else. She stayed in Qingqiao and its surrounding villages until 1885 when she decided it was time to go inland. So her two, two main areas of ministry are, are Qingqiao and Pingtu. Right, so her home is, is, is Tingchao. She would always have a home there. She'd always retreat there. But, but in, in 1885, she decides, I need to go inland. Okay, we need to go inland. There's, there's more people there. Pingtu was about 120 miles inland. And, and at that time, Pingtu had the 12th largest population of the, in the world. So it's a, a large populated city. So she says no missionary has ever been able to, to go there and establish a work. So Lottie says, I'm going to go. There's a great need there, so I'm going to go establish myself and, and a work there in Pingtu. And so in December, she moves to Pingtu with a caravan of provisions, and she settled into and rented rooms there in the city. So she was thought in her own times to be the first woman of any mission to establish an inland mission station by herself. Remember, she's alone. Lottie's tactic there in Pingtu was to live quietly and acceptably among the people until they befriended her and invited her into their homes. One biographer explains, she simply lived among the people as teacher and friend. She sat on a stone or pile of straw at the threshing floor of the village and chatted with the women as they came to prepare their grains. Or she crawled upon the warm brick bed with women who invited her to their homes. She taught rudimentary reading, Bible truths, and hymns. So for the next seven years, Pingtu was this her primary base of work. Again, she, she, she'd go back for, for visits to Tingchao, where, where she first was located, but, but this is where she was doing ministry. In fact, as she went, she knew... The, 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 what was ahead of her. She knew that the great possibilities in Pingtu, and she, she writes before she goes, I feel my weakness and inability to accomplish anything without the aid of the Holy Spirit. She continued re- requesting people to, quote, make special prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Pingtu that I may be clothed with power from on high by the indwelling of the Spirit in my heart. So she knows what she's going into. She says, please, I feel my weakness and inability. Please pray for me. And as she's there, and as she's ministering in Pingtu, the Lord answered those prayers because ministry there is exploding. People start placing their faith in Christ. Converts are starting to be baptized. Churches are being formed, and missionaries are being sent out. And so it's just a, a booming ministry spot. In fact, one man of particular interest was a man named Ling Shou Ting. And so he was from Pingtu. An older friend, so, so Lee, this man Lee, he, an older friend of his had heard the gospel and had been converted while standing on the outskirts of one of Miss Moon's gospel lessons for women. So, so what she would do, she'd go, she'd teach lessons to kids and women, and they'd come, 
And, and lots of men on the outskirts, so they wouldn't come sit under a woman's teaching, but they would stay on the outskirts, and they'd hear the gospel. And so this old man hears this, he receives a New Testament, and he goes to his friend named Lee. So Lee was a philosopher, he, he was this, this wise man, and so this, this older man takes the New Testament to Lee for help, reading it and understanding it. So Lee sees this New Testament, intending to destroy the book. He actually, as he's reading it, he begins being gripped by its message. And he, and he says, well, I have to go to this lady and, and find out what this is about. So he then goes to, to Lottie Moon, and he becomes a Christian. They study the Bible together. He becomes a Christian. He's converted, and this man, Pastor Lee, would become one of the greatest evangelists in North China. And it's estimated that Pastor Lee, right, so this man who was converted by a New Testament of an old man who, right, you got, all, you got the relationship. This man, Pastor Lee, ended up baptizing approximately 10,000 Christian converts in China throughout his life. I mean, this just shows the, the, the massive ministry that's taking place here in this province in China. And so while, while this growing, with this growing ministry in Pingtu, more funds and missionaries were needed. So it's exploding, and, and Lottie needs help. And since she writes a letter home to the Foreign Mission Board in September of 1887, this would go down in Southern Baptist history. So this is the letter that starts this whole, this whole thing that we're doing, this whole Christmas offering. She needs help. So she writes this letter. She said, In a former letter, I called attention to the work of Southern Methodist women, endeavoring to use it, them, the Methodists, as incentive to stir up the women of our Southern Baptist churches to a greater zeal in the cause of missions. She says, Southern Methodist women in one year have contributed to missions clear of all expenses, nearly $65,000. Doesn't this put us Baptist women to shame? And I'm convinced that one of the chief reasons our Southern Baptist women do so little is the lack of organization. Why should we not learn from these noble Methodist women instead of the paltry offerings we make do something that will prove that we really are earnest, in earnest in claiming to be followers of him who, though he was rich for our sake, became poor? So Lottie suggests that the Southern Baptists spend a week of prayer together for global missions, for international missions, that which was to be followed by an offering to be gathered at Christmas time. So this is that week of prayer and we'll have the, the giving Sunday next week. Lottie would write, the most appropriate time, Christmas is the most appropriate time to consecrate a portion from abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth. And so this idea, she writes this letter home, this idea, debate followed, and then in, in 1888, it's officially recognized that we will have an annual Christmas offering. And so by the end of that year, the WMU had already raised enough money to send three women to help Lottie. Well, Lottie continues giving herself to ministry there in Pingtu until in 1893 she takes her first furlough home. So she's been, she, she went home with her sister. She comes back. It's been 16 years. She goes home in 1893. She needs a break. I mean, there's, there's all kinds. You can read about the, the trials that she faced, all kinds of trials. She needs a break. She goes home. She spends a few, few months at home. Then she comes back to China in 1894. And as she comes back, that's what she's going to spend the rest of her days doing, doing these, these basic things. She's going to resume management of schools, so schools that have been established, she's managing schools. She, she's going to, she's now the, the veteran, re revered missionary. So every, any new missionary that comes to China, they say, go, go ask Lottie. Go ask Miss Moon about that. So she's, she's continuing encouraging and, and advising new missionaries. And then she's continuing to give herself to personal ministries to the Chinese. So she's still going out to the villages and, and evangelizing personally with these Chinese people that she's come to love. And so when she comes back, she, she's in she never goes personally to Pingtu. And so when she comes back, she stays where she was originally, although the, the ministry there continued to grow rapidly. It actually became one of the most productive mission fields in Southern Baptist history. There in Pingtu, what she started 
which never goes back to, but now that's where they're sending. Missions in China is exploding, so they're sending lots of people there, so Lottie stays home. And then the year 1911 brought severe famine to the Chinese. Everyone is affected. So she writes back to the states, and she's, she's, she's concerned for the children of missionaries because <clears throat> she sees this famine is affecting the missionaries and their children, and also the Chinese people. But she writes back, how can we bear to sit down to our bountiful tables and know of such things and not bestir ourselves to help missionaries not only give their money but give their lives to help the famine-stricken? Hardly ever did I know of a famine that did not claim its victims among missionaries. And she's writing back to the mission board saying, we need more money. The missionary kids are starving and, and the Chinese are starving. And she says, please send money. And she's, she's informed that the, the foreign mission board is in debt. They can't send money. So she gets no help. They can't send her any, any provision, any relief. And so that's when Lottie begins using her own funds to provide relief for the starving around her. That's when she starts using the money. She says, I can't live off money, off my salary when there's people starving around me. So then she begins to give away her salary. And so at this time, Lottie is, is nearing the end of her life. She's, she's been greatly affected. She was, she was lonely. She was really lonely. Something she struggled with for a long time. I mean, almost all her time in China, she writes of how she's so lonely, how she would wish no missionary would ever be, go through what she went through. Just, just a, a terrible, terrible uh, trial that, that was her entire time. She was lonely. And so by, by 1912, she's, she's back in Tingchao. She's alone because of the, the boom, no one's sending missionaries to Qingqiao. So, so it's almost as though Lottie has been forgotten. So, so they're going to other places, and, and they're doing ministry there. And so no one really realized until it's too late, really, that, that she had sunk into a physical and emotional collapse. Um, because, because, part, partly because of old age, because of stress, because of emotional factors, but, but also because of these, she's not eating because she's, she's giving away her money for others. And so once it's realized how, how far she's fallen, people recognize, wait a minute, she's 50 pounds, she's not doing well. She, she starts being sent to doctors around China, um, trying to help, and, and no one can seem to help. And, and one, Dr. Adams, who also was another missionary, he, he, she asked him to come help her write her will. So she realizes it, it's, the end is near. And so he comes, and when he comes, he found her, a woman who weighed approximately 50 pounds and was extremely frail. So, so this, is, this is the state of Lottie Moon. Wondering, he's wondering how she deteriorated so phys- deteriorated physically so quickly, and that's when he learns that Lottie had made a conscious decision not to eat, so that her impoverished Chinese neighbors could be fed instead. <clears throat> What's decided? Lottie's only chance for recovery is to go back to the states, and so she didn't want to go. Obviously, at that time, she doesn't want to go back to the states. That's not home, but but they insisted. The doctors insisted on it. That's the only way you can recover. She had no strength to fight them, so she is sent. She's put on a ship sent back to San Francisco with a woman named Cynthia Miller, who's a missionary um, who's going to accompany her. So she leaves China, heads for San Francisco. And then around 1 p.m. on Christmas Eve 1912, her ship is in the harbor of Kobe, Japan. And while stationed there, docked there, Lottie Moon died. In the hours before her death, she had sipped some grape juice. She had expressed appreciation for her care. So, so Cynthia Miller will, will recount some of the conversations. Um, but after prayer and hymns, she dozed and smiled, lifted her hands in the customary form of Chinese greeting, and exhaled quietly. And there she died on a ship in port in Kobe, Japan. And so there in 1912, Lottie Moon finished her race. She had finished the race, but her ministry continued to bear fruit. And in the year that she died, almost 2,500 people were baptized in the areas where she had worked. So, so just a testament to her fruit that continued to be born after her life. 
This was the fruit of a woman who once lamented, the needs of these people press upon my soul, and I cannot be silent. It's grievous to think of these human souls going down to death without even one opportunity of hearing the name of Jesus. And so that's what she gave her life to. Well, quickly, I, I just have word, I, one, two, three, four words of application. And I realize we're, we're running close on time. So, so here's just things we can learn from Lottie, from the life of Lottie. First, urgency. Lottie Moon was gripped by the urgency of the mission. And just as it was then, there is now. There's a universal need for the gospel. Right? The gospel is good news of great joy for all peoples. Right? All peoples. It's good news for all people. Lottie recognized that, and she planned her life accordingly. There's an urgency. She had one life to live, and she said, how can I best use this? We, we would do well to consider that. Young people, if you're here, if you're Christians, what better way to spend your life than, than giving it to the Lord, to, to people in unreached people groups all over the world? Right? Yeah, you'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to put aside some, some earthly things, some comforts, but what better way to spend a life than, than among people, bringing them the good news of Jesus? There's great need in young people. You can meet that need. Uh, next word, love. We see from Lottie's life in China, a genuine love for the Chinese people. That was fascinating. You just see her transformed into someone who loved these people. She was one of them. It was home for her. It wasn't something that was initially there. It grew with time. As she got to know individuals, as she was out meeting people in these places, she, she aimed to become like them. She, she, the time spent with them transformed her and, and gave her a heart for them. She found herself falling more and more in love with them. And so we see from Lottie's, Lottie's life, it's hard to love people you don't know. You can't love someone you don't know. And so that we, we see she, she invested herself in these people and grew to love them. Next word, boldness. Lottie Moon revolutionized, revolutionized the way that women participated in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. She wasn't okay with the fact that while there are needs on the field, the Foreign Mission Board was refusing to send missionaries. We can't send women who want to go. She, could, she couldn't be okay with that. Why, she asked, with so much opportunity to spread the gospel around the world to people who have never heard the name of Jesus, to so, do so few Southern Baptists go to them? Why were Southern Baptists placing limits on the people who would go? Why were Southern Baptists placing limits on the amount of support they would send? She says, if there's people that want to go, we should send them. And she was influential. She went on to say, our Lord does not call women to preach, but no less does he say to them than to men, go work in my vineyard. Shall we who think we hold a pure gospel neglect any of the means of his advancement? The gospel can be shed by a woman just as well as a man, she would say. So why not send women? She was revolutionary. She organized the Women's Missionary Union, which continues to bear fruit. I mean, think about our own church. We have a group of praying, missions-minded women on mission who regularly keep missions before us, right? They are, they are the fruit of Lottie Moon's boldness. Next word, perseverance. I didn't go into much detail about this, but Lottie Moon experienced numerous trials, relational, physical, emotional, spiritual. I mean, there, there, was, there was so much drama and doctrinal drama between these two main people in China that she was working with, and that, that wore her down. I mean, but there, there are so many other things. Her life was not easy, but through it all, she would conclude, no trouble comes upon us unless it is needed. We ought to be just as thankful for sorrows as for joys. One of her prayers that she came to, to become really close with was she would pray, send us affliction and troubles. Blight our dearest hopes, if need be, that we may learn more fully to depend on thee. She, she saw trials as, as, as means of growing closer in, to the Lord and in our dependence on him. Then finally, stewardship. The life and letters of Lottie Moon teach us that we all, every one of us, has a life and resources to steward, right? We are stewards. Whether you realize it or not, you have a life and resources. 
that you're responsible for spending, for giving, for using. And so Lottie set an example for us of what it looks like to consider others more significant than yourself. She said, there's a need there, and I can, I can give my life to meet that need. And so she's a picture for us of a selfless life. And so one thing we do is we, we take up a Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we can steward some of the resources that we have. And so it's right for us to consider how, how can we give towards this fund this year. But more significantly, the main way that we can honor Lottie Moon is to follow the example set not by Lottie, but the, follow, but the example set by the Lord of Lottie. And so Lottie was just following the example of her Lord, right, of, of living a selfless life. And that's, that's how we can honor Lottie, by following the Lord in a similar way. And so, so we would do well to ask the question, how might we as men and women who've been saved by God live our lives for God? What can we do? How can you use our life? If you're not saved, you, you should be saved, right? And the Lord will use you mightily. But the first thing you, you should do is to, to, to trust in the Lord, to be saved, but then as someone who's saved, you don't stay there. You then spend yourself and your resources for his sake. You have one life, and that's all. And so I'll close with one final quote. <clears throat> one final quote from Lottie. She says, Should we not press it home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and Master in the conversion of the world. Should we not press it home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls? It's not all about us, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and Master in the conversion of the world. Well, let's pray as we close.